0: Hey, this is John Joyner, and I believe in the power of story. How it can impact a life, how it can carry truth and wisdom, how it connects us to others. And that's where this podcast begins. It exists as a connection point. You see, these stories are not my stories, they're all of ours. So, my friends, welcome to Social Stories. Welcome back to Social Stories. This is episode two of season two. And this story is a continuation from last week. So if you haven't listened to Daydreams and Nightmares part one, you will definitely want to go back, listen to the first episode of this season, because nothing in this story will make sense if you don't have the context of the first story. I want to get into the story really quickly this week, because if you have listened to part one, then you know there's a big cliffhanger, and the story is waiting to be told, and I'm sure you're waiting to hear it, so I won't belabor the point, but there are three points of business I do want to talk about before we begin today's episode. One, and I'll hit these really fast, I promise, one If you loved season one, or if you're interested in reading short stories instead of just listening to them, we've created season one in book form. All you gotta do is go to Amazon, type in social stories, season one. You'll pull that book up. You can download it digitally, or you can buy a print copy that will be sent to you. And if you're a fan of these short stories, and and you might be interested in, let's say a longer story, perhaps a novel, Then I released my first novel back at the beginning of spring. It's called When the Stones First Fell. And just like with the Social Story Season 1 book, all you have to do is go to Amazon, type in When the Stones First Fell. You can download a digital copy or get print sent to you as well. And lastly, if you love social stories and you want to make sure that we can keep producing these episodes and you want to support us, then you can do that. All you have to do is go to patreon.com/socialstoriespodcast. There's four tiers of support as little as $2 a month all the way up to $15 a month. There's benefits in each of those tiers that you can read about at patreon.com/socialstoriespodcast. As always, this podcast will be free. We will continue to provide it for no cost, but if you do want to support us, you have that option. Okay, so, business out of the way. We don't have to talk about it anymore. What we are going to do is jump into the continuation of Daydreams and Nightmares. As a reminder, this story's prompt came from Johnny Morgan, and it was this. The train leaves at midnight, and only one can get on. So, let's get to the reading. This is Daydreams and Nightmares, part two. Gemma woke up bedraggled and confused. It was dawn. Dewy grass was scratching her face. She reached up and scratched her skin, trying to place herself geographically. Where am I? She muttered aloud. On the front lawn. The better question is, why are you on the front lawn? Jimma pushed herself up, stray clippings sticking to her arms like large, unsightly green hairs. She turned toward the door. When her eyes focused, Peter's silhouette moved through a continuum from cloudy to crisp. What happened to you? Peter asked, laughing through the sentence. He approached Gemma and wrapped her in his arms. I... I don't know, she said. Her brain felt like scrambled eggs. The analogy made her hungry. Where am I? She asked, this time directing the question at her husband. But isn't he dead? She wondered. Exactly where you're supposed to be, he said. Come inside, Jim. Let's get you out of those soggy clothes and into something more comfortable. Then we'll have breakfast. He led her up the porch steps, and as she walked, she turned to survey the grounds. The house was surrounded on all sides by thick forest, only dropping off where a steep incline led down a deep valley. Isn't there supposed to be a... Um, uh, the word eluded her but she was certain something was missing from the scene. I think I was supposed to get on a thing that would take me back home. I can't remember what it is, though. What are you talking about, darling? Peter said. You are home. He pushed open the front door and led Jimma through the foyer. She was struck by the space's beauty, again thinking everything was exactly as she would have designed it if she had done so herself. But like a scratch at the back of her brain, she couldn't itch. She didn't know why the gleaming marble, the sparkling chandelier, the spotless walls made her uneasy, as if everything were a facade. What happened last night? She asked Peter. Why did I wake up outside? He laughed. (laughs) I was hoping that you could tell me. When I stirred in our bed at sunrise, I was surprised to see you missing. Must have sleepwalked and lain on the grass in your dream. He guffawed again. "'Jimma shook her head as if the movement might dissipate the swirling fog in her mind. "'The moment she stepped into their bedroom, she was afraid. "'Something had been here last night, "'something that struck a fear so deep in Jimma she would never be able to forget it. "'She screamed. "'Peter turned around, his face twitching. "'What's wrong, darling?' he asked, but his voice had a glitch. I don't want to be here, she roared. I want to go home, back to Herman. I don't want to be here when they come again tonight. For a moment, Peter's face slacked like he lost control of his facial muscles. Then, in an instant, they sprang back into a smile. Jim, why don't we just enjoy the day together? We can do anything you want to do. No, she screamed. What is this place? Peter's face twitched at the question, just as she suspected, he didn't say anything, so she asked a more specific question. A place where days are, are a dream and the nights are a nightmare? And oh, oh no. She suddenly remembered the train. I was supposed to board the train last night. Now it's, it's gone forever. But you get to be with me for the rest of your life. You're already dead, Peter. This is not real. Another twitch. Why don't we go enjoy some breakfast? you'll feel better. Without thinking, she shoved him and he tumbled to the floor. Jimma dashed into the hallway and down the stairs, sprinting toward the wooden room. She had a hair-brained idea. If she was right, she could get back home. And if she was wrong, well, she didn't know what would happen. Jimma skated to a halt in front of the dumbwaiter door and screamed, give me the train. I want to go home. Then she knocked three times. The room began to shake, wooden slats threatening to dislodge from their snug homes. Take me back to Herman! She roared again and knocked three more times. A rumbling undulated under her feet. A train blast tore apart her eardrums. A bright light broke into the room, scattering through the wood in every direction. Steam filled the space until she couldn't see five feet in front of her or take in anything resembling a deep breath. Jemma felt a hand on her shoulder. She turned. It was Peter. You cannot do that! He roared over the racket. You're going to kill us! Jemma knew if she just opened the dumbwaiter door, the train would burst through the wall and she could board, leaving this horrifying place behind. She turned around, but Peter's grip tightened. The rumbling grew louder. The train whistle traveled through the Doppler effect, lifting to a higher and higher pitch as it drew closer. She reached her hand out to tug on the door's handle, then felt a deafening crack at the back of her skull. She collapsed to the floor, limbs sprawling. The rumbling subsided. The train blast echoed to silence. The light disappeared. I'm sorry I had to do that, but you left me no choice, a voice that wasn't Peter's said. Gemma rolled over, grasping the back of her head, which felt wet. Peter was holding a cane, bloodied at one end. Really, you must accept that this is your new home. It was friend speaking through Peter's mouth. You made your decision last night. Now enjoy your life. Innumerable people across this planet would do anything to live in a place where they got everything they wanted every day. Ungratefulness is not becoming, dear Gemma. My choice was to leave. I just didn't- And then she remembered jumping off the roof. I didn't get there in time. Alas, the rules were clear. You had until one hour after dark to board the train. Friend's voice coming out of Peter's mouth felt eerie. Unnatural. The train departed on time. I'm afraid as per the rules, it will not return. I suggest you learn to appreciate your new home. Yeah, well you can appreciate this, she charged at him. "'What are you doing?' Peter yelled in his own voice again, his face dropping into a frown, which twitched slightly. Jimma stopped short, dropping her cocked fist. "'I'm sorry. I think I just... uh, I'm hungry.' Peter's grin returned. "'Well, we can take care of that.' Eggs Benedict, Canadian bacon, and a tall mug of black coffee waited on the kitchen table. Peter picked up the platter on which sat two identical plates, and they ate on the patio." Watching the sun rise over the trees, not over the same horizon she saw it yesterday morning, but in the direction Jimma was looking today. During breakfast, Peter attempted to engage Jimma in conversation, asking such standard queries as How is your food? and What do you want to do today? Jimma paid him no mind. Her attention was elsewhere, racing through possible paths to get back home. She focused her eyes back on Peter. His facial expression was that of a person who had posed a question and was waiting for a response. She said, knowing her words would not address his inquiry and not caring in the least. Want to go for a walk? If you do, he said, smiling sweetly. I very much do, she said, and got up without looking back. He followed, jogging to catch her. They walked through a meadow of sunflowers, a sight and experience that would have delighted Gemma under any other circumstance and headed for the tree line in the direction the train would have traveled to leave last night. Where are we going? Peter asked. Wherever I want to go, Jimma said, and her companion grinned perfectly. He really was dashing, just as she remembered. The image made her heart hurt. She'd do anything to get to spend one more afternoon with her real love. After they walked for an hour without talking, Jimma said, Do you remember how you died? Peter shuddered just as she suspected he would. Whatever was running this place, be it magic or science, was not equipped to handle input in direct opposition to what was expected. Days were supposed to be daydreams, and nothing was supposed to be anything contrary to that. Finally, Peter said, I haven't died yet, Jim. You are some shadow of my real Peter. I'm well aware of that. You represent him, but you're not him. Peter's movement became spasmodic, his face dropping into an expressionless landscape. My Peter died last year, Jimma continued, ignoring her jerky companion. He, you, were the best man I'd ever known. So gentle, so kind-hearted, so generous. One day, I fell ill. Ghosts of memories floated through her mind like waifs. The fever. The screams. The pain. I was certain to succumb to the final master. Death. I probably had days to live, but Peter refused to give up on me. The doctor in Hermann, Dr. Emil von Trosen, he was one of one of the Hermanites who never returned from their train ride. Dr. Abbott, the town dentist, the very one who put these crowns on my teeth. He'd taken up the cause of healer in Herman, but he was at a loss for my condition. I, however, Of a doctor in my hometown, Priscilla, who was known for solving medical mysteries. I begged Peter to go find him and bring him back to me. He immediately took up my cause, writing hard for Priscilla. I'm told he arrived in a matter of hours, beating the standard ride by half. He found the good doctor, offered to pay whatever amount deemed to be reasonable by the doctor's standards, and escorted him back to Herman. But along the way, Peter and the doctor were ambushed by a gang of thieves, eight men against two. Weaponless, armed only with love for me, Peter fought off the attack, giving the doctor enough time to escape the ambush. When he arrived in Herman, he inquired as to my location and in a matter of hours diagnosed my illness, procuring the remedy from the bag which the thieves would have stolen if not for my Peter's bravery. My health secured a group of men rode out to search for Peter, following the direction of the good doctor. Tears welled, spilling over her eyelids, moistening her eyelashes. They found, they found his body hung from a tree. His horse was most missing along with the possessions he'd been carrying. We, bu- we buried him a day later. The movements of the Peter walking beside her smoothed out at the end of her story, and he said, why are we out here, Jim? Where are we going? His incongruous question drew her from her reverie. She frowned. This is what I want to do, so this is what we're doing. Of course, he said, putting a period on the short conversation. They walked for hours through the trees, unspeaking, the sun tracing its arc across the sky above the canopy. Beams of light touched the ground, creating an idyllic scene. Greens and browns so vibrant, Jimma would have thought she was looking at a painting if she wasn't walking directly through it. If we don't head back soon, Peter finally said as the sun waned in its daily journey, we'll be stuck in the woods tonight. I don't want to turn back, Jimma said. She just knew if she could walk far enough, they would cross back over into the real world. And from there, she could find Herman through whatever means were necessary. And if that plan didn't work... At least they would be far away from those dreadful things that had invaded their house last night. "'Very well,' Peter said. "'Are you hungry?' "'Yes.' Peter clapped, and a chicken salad sandwich appeared in Jimma's right hand. Her left gripped a cold glass of water. She ate and drank as they walked. As dusk approached, Peter said again, "Jim, do you want to turn back? We should, we should head for the house before night falls.' "'I do not.' I want to continue on. Really? I must insist, he said, though he was smiling. I don't care what you want. The sun slipped slowly behind the horizon as darkness descended. As soon as it disappeared, Peter shouted, We have to go back! You can go back if you want, but I'm going to keep going- Snap! They both turned their heads toward the stimulus. What was that? Jimma asked. It could be anything. Peter's demeanor, though still smooth, had changed. We're in trouble, Gemma. We should have gone back. But the nightmare is at the house. We're, we're hours away from- You don't understand, Peter said. The nightmare is wherever you are. A howl pierced the darkness, followed by a dozen more, the sounds circling them entirely. They're hunting us, Peter said, crouching down. And we have no weapons to defend ourselves. What is hunting us? Gemma asked, fear settling densely in her chest like a solid piece of lead. Peter had no time to respond. The first wolf bounded out of the darkness and clamped its jaws around Peter's defensive arm. A horrible crunch followed by a crack found Gemma's ears, and after she blinked, Peter's forearm and hand were missing. Another wolf pounced, smothering Peter under its enormous body weight. Peter's screams were silenced as the wolf's teeth tore into him. Jim ran, but a sharp pain shot up her leg. The jaw of a wolf was wrapped viciously around her ankle. Four more wolves bounded toward her, knocking her to the ground. An almost surreal moment of time passed when an absolute clarity brightened the darkness of her mind. She was going to die. For one second, she was at peace, as the dire wolves overwhelmed her, their weight pressing more and more heavily on her limbs and torso their teeth digging deeper and deeper into her flesh. The next moment, a fear like she'd never known, obliterated her heart. She was not ready to die. More and more wolves piled on top of her, filling her lungs with stale, sweaty air, increasingly devoid of the oxygen her body needed to live. The pain of their bites was intense, but the suffocating effect of the wolves' bodies stealing her air blasted a cannon of panic into her mind. She tried to scream, but she was now in a vacuum, and the sound had no particles to travel upon. The weight of the wolves... The pain of their bites, the suffocation of their pressing bodies added up to an experience of fear she had never known, and one she hoped she'd never experience again. At the point when she knew she could no longer stand it, she embraced the sweet relief of death, glad it was all over. Her lungs exploded. Gemma awoke with a violent gasp. What's wrong? Peter asked, stirring awake beside her. He reached his arm across the bed to pull her closer into his body. She was sweating, and her sticky gown clung to her skin in the embrace. It was dawn. She could see the sun rising outside the window of the mansion where she lived with Peter. Must have had a bad dream, Gemma said, confused. I'm sorry, darling, Peter said, face flat but not twitching. What happened in the dream? The fear that had just moments ago been pounding in her chest was subsiding. Vague images of some sort of animal attacking her. What kind of animal had it been? Were wafting away to the inaccessible part of her memory. I don't know, she said. Then, should we go get breakfast? His flat face curved upward. That sounds nice. Awaiting the happy couple in the kitchen were plates of sausages, eggs, toast. Jam and breakfast potatoes, all perfectly seasoned and expertly cooked. They sat down at the kitchen table, staring at the rising sun through the window. What do you want to do today? Peter asked, a piece of egg white hanging from the side of his mouth. I thought it might be nice to read on the porch while it's still cool and maybe take a mid-morning nap before lunch. She'd already had her book of choice in mind, the importance of being earnest. Excellent, came Peter's reply through potato-stuffed lips. A bit of potato skin came flying out of his mouth at the exclamation. Jimma giggled in feigned defense. Sorry, he said, laughing now so that multiple potato skin cannonballs were propelled from his mouth. After breakfast, Jimma wasn't stuffed and neither was she hungry. She was the perfect amount of full. She strode through the library and picked out her book from the end of the bookcase where the W's began. Wild Oscar, she mouthed tugging the unsullied edition of the book out of its resting place. It was a thin book, one of her favorite plays, and a story she could read start to finish before lunch. She traipsed through the wooden room and into the foyer, opening the front door and sitting on the rocker next to Peter, who was already swaying backward and forward. His eyes were locked on the valley, taking in the rushing river so picturesquely positioned for superb viewing from their porch. She dug into the book, She'd read it many times before as a young woman, but this time felt like the first. Jimma didn't remember what was about to happen, but she knew she was excited for it. After the second act, she came up for air out of the pages and turned to look at Peter. He noticed her movement and met her eyes. Then he reached out his hand and took hers, squeezing it twice. Are you having a nice morning? He asked, head resting against the rocking chair. The best, she said and realizing that her muscles were relaxed as if she had just received a massage. No soreness in her neck as would usually accompany an extended bout of reading. Isn't this the most wonderful view? Peter asked. His question scratched an itch at the back of her mind. She'd heard someone else say that before. Talk about how wonderful the views had been. Who had that been? She asked herself. A slight frown tugged at the edge of her face. Are you okay? Peter asked, his face flat. Not frowning, just flat like a piece of paper. She tried hard to remember where she had heard that before, but no matter how deeply she concentrated, she couldn't force the memory to surface. Yeah, she said, smiling again. I'm okay. But something was nagging her. Something about this amazing morning was off. But what could it possibly be? She'd been able to do everything she wanted to do. She shook her head and got back into the story. After another hour, she and Peter moved back into the house for lunch. Fresh red tomatoes, the greenest, crispiest lettuce, and crunchy bacon, all on fresh sourdough bread. After two bites, a question came to Jimma's mind. She asked it, Who makes the food, Peter? I haven't seen anyone else here. Peter's face convulsed. Suddenly, Jimma remembered everything. Herman, the train, the returning passengers' seemingly scripted responses— The decision to leave this place, but the inability to get back to the train before it left. The nightmares that come at night. She pushed back from the table and stood. What's wrong? Peter asked. There it was again, his stupid flat face. Everything about this place is wrong. Nothing here is real. I don't want anything to do with it. I want to go back home. You are home, Peter said. When I woke up this morning, I had no doubt about that. I didn't remember anything about the horrors of the night or how I got here. That's going to keep getting worse, isn't it? Every day I'm here, I'm going to forget more and more of what's real. I'm going to be stuck in a cycle of daydreams and nightmares that I can't get out of. Oh god, I'm trapped. She rushed Peter and grabbed him by the collar. His face was twitching erratically. Tell me how to leave this place. Gemma shook the man. Was he a man? Who looked like her dead husband and shouted, Tell me! I think you need to lie d- down for a b- bit, he sputtered. Oh, is, is that it? She raged. I'm delirious and need a nap? It must be my fragile womanly frame, huh? She shoved him back into his chair and turned. Where are you g- going? I'm not going to stay stuck here. I'm not going to lie down and accept that I'll never be able to leave. I'm going to do something about it. She made for the wooden room thought of the train again, and knocked three times. You can't do that, Peter screamed, appearing at the door. I can do whatever I want, right? This is supposed to be my daydream. She knocked three times again, and the rumble came. You're going to kill us, Peter shouted, convulsing. Maybe. Maybe not. Either way, something's going to happen that will take me from this place. Bright light dazzled the room. Hissing steam and grinding steel sounded all around them. All the surfaces of the room rippled like ocean waves. This is the last time I'm going to save you, Friend's voice roared behind her. Friend, acting through Peter's body, waved his hand and the commotion in the room stopped. Next time, I'm going to let you die, Gemma. Is that really what you want? It won't kill me, Gemma said. Either the train would actually come back or everything would i don't know explode and and i would wake up back in herman i just know it oh really you know it do you i'm the architect of this place i know exactly how it works but you some lowly widow from some no-name town know it better than me i built this place to give people like you a better life jimma don't you see the gift i've given you a better life so my life in herman was worse than this How could you call this place a gift? Sure, the days are nice, but what comes at night? Fear and mutilation and death. It's not worth it. Everything comes with a price. You had the ability to pass on my offer, but you stayed. No, I didn't. I wanted to leave, but you didn't make it back to the train. That is not my fault. I didn't choose to jump off a roof that was your decision i was being chased by something i had i had no other option you could have turned around and faced them you could have fought your way past them and back into the house the two beings you encountered the first night were nothing but fear and despair they weren't indestructible with the right weapons you could have made it back to the train many do in fact you are an evil man i'm a friend Gemma. She stared at him in disbelief. There is no going back, he continued when she didn't respond. Either accept your new life, or I don't care. Kill yourself by requesting the train again. I won't stop you next time. Friend left Peter's body, and Gemma sensed, or maybe witnessed, his spirit? Soul? Ghost? Something else? Exit the room. What would you like to do now? Peter asked as if nothing had happened. Gemma glanced at the wooden door, then said, You know what? I do want to sleep, but not because you suggested it. Okay, that sounds nice. She walked past him and up the magnificent staircase in the foyer. She collapsed into the incomparably comfortable bed and was asleep before her head hit the pillow. A light nudging stirred her from an amazing dream. She and Peter and their two children were in Herman enjoying a picnic on a crystal clear day. The blues and greens of the sky and grass so bright Gemma had to squint any time she looked away from her children's faces, which was not often. Not until she awoke did she remember the children were imaginary and the real Peter was gone. You should get up, the fake Peter said to her. It's almost nighttime. I think I'm just going to lie here tonight. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't really care what you think. His flat face hesitated. He wasn't twitching. Probably because he was transitioning into Night Peter. Day Peter didn't understand darkness, fear, sadness, or anything related to negativity. Night Peter was the opposite. Jimma glanced out the window at the waning light of the orange and purple sunset. Yeah, I'm going to stay right here. Try to sleep through whatever's coming. I don't think that's possible, transitioning Peter said. Well, we'll find out, won't we? Somehow, Jimma could see the sun setting through a window that was perfectly positioned for her viewing comfort. When the ball of fire dipped below the horizon, she closed her eyes. Nothing happened. She opened her eyes again. The room was darkening. Peter wasn't around. He had gone into the bathroom. But neither was anything else. If friend had been telling the truth, and she had come face to face with fear and despair that first night, maybe they would show up any minute now. Or, like last night, she might be mauled by some terrifying animal. But she died of suffocation under their bodies, not from their painful and mutilating bites. The memory made her skin crawl and her lungs burn. She closed her eyes again, her heart rate increasing. Thum, 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 thum. But nothing was happening. And that was somehow worse. The room suddenly creaked like the sound of a house settling on its foundation. Had someone just entered? She ripped her eyes open and searched for the source of the noise. But again she found nothing else in the room. She glanced out the window, but could see nothing but vast. Flat. Darkness. That was odd. She had expected to see the shadows of the mountains and the valley. The house creaked again, and this time she thought she felt the room sway. But she shook her head and closed her eyes, willing sleep to come, though she knew it would be evasive. More creaking and swaying occurred. After a while, she felt seasick. Jimma threw back the covers and set her feet on the wooden floor. When she stood, she felt the room rock and toppled back onto the bed. Peter! she yelled, but no response came. Something splashed against the window next to the bed. Jimma turned her head in time to see salty foam dissipate off the glass. She rushed to the window to get a view of what was going on outside. Now she recognized the flat blackness for what it was. The house was floating in the middle of a giant body of water, extending to the horizon on every side. Small waves were building on its surface, gaining momentum. Another clap of water slapped against the glass, this time higher up. Peter! Jimma shouted again. She knew he wasn't real, but she didn't want to be alone. She'd never been on a boat before, much less in the middle of deep water. She was afraid. But compared to the last couple nights, she could handle this. All she'd have to do was crawl back in bed and try to sleep through it. The worst that might happen was a little bit of vomiting, but she wasn't afraid of that. Another wave collided with the window, and an explosion of wet glass sprayed across the room. Jim was screamed as the house rocked violently, sending her into the wall at the opposite end of the room from the broken window. She slid to the floor, landing hard on her butt. Then her feet felt wet. At first, she thought the moisture was from the last wave that broke the window, but was horrified to see water gushing up through the hardwood floors. The room rocked again while simultaneously filling with liquid. In a matter of moments, the water was ankle-deep. Jim ran into the hallway, splashing as she stepped, and called for Peter three more times. He didn't answer. The house swayed, nearly turning on its side, and she fell headlong down the stairs, submerged under water. when she landed. The salty sea was rushing in through every window, gushing up through every slat of hardwood, seeping in through cracks in the walls. The house swayed again, this time toppling so that the wall was now the floor. The chandelier shattered to pieces beside her as it slammed down from the force of the shift. All around Gemma, the house began to crack, geysers of water spraying in through the damage. Suddenly, she realized if she didn't find a way out of the sinking house, she would be trapped when it filled completely. Her panicking heart slammed into her ribcage as she stepped along the wall, aiming for the hole that used to be the window to the right of the front door. Just as she grabbed it and pulled herself up, the house tumbled again and her body shifted oddly. Her brain troubled to compute the strange movements. When she pulled herself through the hole, a wave taller than the largest building in Herman rushed toward the house and rammed into it, sweeping her off her feet into a chaotic, watery tumble. Gemma knew she was underwater, but she was unsure which direction would lead her to air and which would take her further into the depths. Darkness engulfed her. Her brain scrambled, trying to piece together any clues that would save her life. Burning lungs reminded her of her grisly death last night. The burn increased until she knew she had mere seconds to decide which way to swim and then just hope for the best. She kicked her feet hard, flapping her arms wildly. Just when her lungs were about to force the issue and suck in whatever they could, she surfaced and gulped in the most glorious breath of air she had ever tasted. Now on the surface of the water, she swam for a large shadow to her right and found a piece of the banister that used to belong to the mansion's breathtaking staircase. She clung to it, and the long, circular piece of wood kept her afloat. That's when she realized she was freezing cold. Peter! Peter! She screamed while she still had breath. Wh- where are you? No response. Gemma shivered, her teeth clattering against each other. Then, Gemma! The voice was far away, but it was certainly Peter's. Over here! She continued to scream until Peter's splashing finally made its way to her location. He was clinging to a piece of wood nearly identical to her life buoy. Where are we? She asked him, kicking her feet to try and stay warm. It wasn't working. I don't know, he said. He looked like a ghost. She swiveled her head in every direction, the wet strands of her hair flinging cold droplets. There was nothing but deep water all around them. What do we do? The only thing we can do is stay afloat, he said. Jimma could see his breath as he spoke. A series of beeps and boops came to life in stereo around her head. She reached up to touch her mouth, which felt like it was buzzing. The clicks sounded similar to those she would hear just before the train would arrive each night back in Herman, but they were playing a different song. Peter, do you hear that? Hear what? He said through shivers. It sounds like, I don't know, beeps. Like Morse code? He asked. Maybe, maybe there's a ship close by sending out a signal. Jimma knew there were no ships nearby. Peter's comment, whether he intended it to or not, was this place's way of serving her a glimmer of hope, just to dash it away later. Yeah, I guess it could be. Clinging to her wooden buoy, her brain set off like a ringing bell. That's it, Peter. I wonder if, maybe, what if I was hearing every night some sort of "'Homing signal. Maybe that's how I could—' And then Peter was sucked underwater. After a moment, he bobbed back to the surface. His face was twisted in pain. "'There's something below—' He disappeared again. "'Peter!' Jimma yelled. Something large and slimy brushed against her leg. She tried to climb on the piece of wood, but all her efforts accomplished was to barrel-roll her to the other side. She splashed, and something with sharp teeth tugged at her foot almost playfully. She kicked, and it released. A panic like she'd never known burst to flame inside her. Peter hadn't surfaced again, but something large, dark, sleek, and finned crested the water 20 feet from her. Then another fin popped up behind her. She kicked her feet hard and dodged away from the sharks she could see, hoping to find another piece of wood in the debris that she could climb upon. Something latched onto her foot and pulled her underwater. Briny liquid poured up her nose. She pushed past the pain and reached down, punching at the animal that had her by the foot. She made solid contact with its snout and again it unhinged its jaw. Gemma swam furiously for the surface. She popped up, gasped for breath, and noticed the mattress of their bed floating ten feet from her. Her veins filled almost entirely of adrenaline. She pumped her limbs until she reached the mattress and then hurriedly pulled herself onto it. The mattress dipped under her weight, but as she crawled to the middle, the edges rose up above the water, encompassing her in an almost bowl-like structure. Something large brushed against the soggy mattress where it was dipping below the surface, a touch she could feel on her backside. Hours passed. The sharks continued to bump erratically against the mattress. Gemma felt every second tick by, shivering in the increasingly cold night. Soon. She felt as if the blood in her body was icing over and slowing down. The pain of the freezing air against her once wet, now icy body slowly subsided into numbness. She knew she was dying from the cold, but at least she had escaped the gruesome death of the shark's bite. Curled up, limbs becoming icicles, Gemma died on the soggy mattress of her bed floating in the middle of a deep ocean. The first thing she realized when she awoke was just how pleasantly warm she was. Gemma shifted under the comforter, snuggling up against Peter's body. He stirred. Good morning, darling, he said, shifting to wrap her in his arms. Good morning, husband. What would you like to do today? I should think breakfast is in order, she said and kissed his nose. They ate on the patio, watching the sun rise over the trees. Afterwards, they spent time strolling through the gardens, chatting of life and love and happiness. At lunch, Peter posed, as he always did, the question of what their afternoon would hold. Jimma wasn't sure why, but she suggested they go sailing. Is there a way for us to do that around here? She asked, hand clasped in Peter's. Of course there is. We can do anything you want to do, Jim. Should we go get dressed then? I can't wait to be out upon the water. "'Certainly,' Peter said, beaming. "'While you get ready, I'll go grab some of the supplies. "'There's a life buoy in your closet. "'Will you bring that down with you?' "'Jimma's brain screamed for her to remember. "'She frowned. "'Remember? "'Remember what?' "'Peter saw the shift in her demeanor. "'If you don't want to bring it down, "'I can always come get it,' he said, grinning. "'That'd be no big deal.' "'Jimma didn't hear him. "'Her mind was racing, "'trying to grapple with the evasive, rippling memory.' Life buoy. Why did that word strike fear in her heart instead of confidence? A life buoy is designed to save you, not— The memory came crashing into her head like the wave that had torn apart the house last night. She remembered everything. The house swaying and breaking apart. The fear of drowning. The sharks. The mattress. The conversation with Peter before the sharks came. That's it! Jimma screamed. That's what? He asked. I know how to get back home! She stood, mouthing along with Peter as he said, But you are home. She was in the wooden room in seconds, standing in front of the dumbwaiter door. Peter appeared behind her. What are you doing? She ignored him, fixed the object she wanted firmly in her head, and knocked three times. Jimma opened the door and extracted a box. It was cumbersome, but not too heavy for her to carry. What is that? Peter asked. It's my way back to Herman." She walked past him and into the foyer, coming to the front door. Peter! She shouted. He appeared. Would you mind? He looked flatly at her, but obliged the request, opening the door to let her through. Gemma walked down the porch steps and began the journey down the drive. Can I at least help you carry it? Peter asked, jogging to keep up with her determined stride. I've got it, thank you. At the end of the drive, Gemma placed the box on the ground, sat beside it, opened the lid, and turned the crank for a minute, giving frictional power to the mechanics inside. When the radio telegraph was fully charged, Gemma tapped the hammer. Not only did she hear the sound come out of the box, she felt it in her mouth. She began tapping in a rhythmic cadence. As she did so, she closed her eyes and imagined herself in the train station. The clock on the wall read 1159, and the beeps and boops she was now producing were the very same ones she heard in her head every night. As she tapped on the machine, she waltzed in her mind's eye to the song she had memorized over years of waiting in the train station. The song came to an end, and Gemma stood, taking a step back. Peter looked at her, still flat, and said, What is going on? The trees nearest them were uprooted in a violent crash as the train rushed in from the forest, the track building itself in front of the steam engine one section at a time as it rolled forward. The crimson engine stack came to a halt directly in front of the radio telegraph. Jimma rubbed her hands down her dress to clear the dust that had clung to her and the train's arrival, kissed fake Peter on the cheek, and strode to the door of the train. She wrenched it open and stepped into the car the very same compartment she had been the last Hermonite to board. Friend appeared in the hallway behind the red velvet chair, confusion dripping from his expression. "'What that?' "'Take me back to Herman," Jimma said, calmly, though with an air of finality. "'How—' "'Now,' she said, and swept past him into the hallway, aiming for the sleeping compartment where she'd spent most of the journey to this nightmare of a place several days ago. "'I don't understand,' Friend said. The train only goes where I command. I figured out your command, friend. I called the train. How did you do that? She ignored his question. The rules state that if I reboard, I am to be taken home. Well, here I am. Friend's slack jaw turned upward into a smile. Brava, Jimma. I'm impressed. But I have another person playing the game as we speak, probably wondering where the train went. I need to get back to them. And I need to get back to Herman. Friend eyed Jimma curiously, a crooked smile tilting his lips. Okay, he said finally. I'll take you back. But first, tell me how you did this. How did you call the train? I played the song, she said. Friend frowned. What song? That same one that plays every night before the train reappears at the station. Understanding began dawning on his face. You used Morse code. You conjured a telegraph machine out of the box. And then you played the beacon. Very clever indeed. <laughs> but how did you know it? The message is a secret phrase only I know. I memorized it over time. Yes, but how did you hear it in the first place? Jimma shrugged. I don't know, but I answered your question. Shall we disembark now? Friend's face was twisted in curiosity. He didn't hear her request as his mind whirred through the possibilities. I suppose it's possible. He muttered under his breath. Then he spoke as if Jimma weren't in the room. Perhaps her body acted as the antenna. Her skull acted as the transducer, but what was receiving the signal? Friend placed his hand under his chin and scrunched his face in thought. Could it be? I guess, under the rarest of occasions, one might be able to hear radio signals if... He trailed off. Then he looked at Jimma. May I see your teeth? The question caught Jemma off guard. She faltered, her scowl shifting into glowering curiosity. She folded her arms across her chest. Only if you promise to take me back after. Friend nodded almost imperceptibly, and Jemma opened her mouth wide. Friend snapped his fingers, which glowed like Edison bulbs, and then peered inside. Just as I suspected, he said. You got lucky, Miss Jemma Rosalie. Very lucky indeed. Friend clapped his hands, and the door of the car shut. He snapped his fingers again, and the train was instantly in Herman's station. I've never met anyone like you, Jimma, Friend said as he led her to the door of the car. I could use someone with your gusto and smarts. Together, we could do anything imaginable. Not interested, she said, sweeping her long hair into his face as she turned to deboard. The station was empty, as Jemma had expected. Days ago, her high heels had clacked loudly as she walked toward the track. Now, her bare feet thudded softly on the stone as she exited in the opposite direction, the soft pat not loud enough to reverberate around the cavernous building. Friend watched her from the car. When she reached the door, Jemma stepped through without looking back. Friend shook his head, smiled, and clapped. The door shut. The whistle blew, and the wheels chugged forward. When it left the station this time, the train never returned to Herman. The first thing Gemma did when she entered her tiny apartment, a room situated above the drugstore on the main strip in squat downtown Herman, and the only place she could afford after Peter died, was write a thank-you note to Dr. Franklin Edward Abbott. It was a simple note, only one sentence. Thank you for the silver fillings. Kindly yours, Mrs. Gemma Jillian Rosalie. And so ends the story of the mysterious train ride. What a journey we've all been on together, right? Kind of crazy. If you want to join the fun and add a story prompt to our list that might be converted into a full episode one day, you can do that. There's two really simple ways to do it. All you have to do is go to our Instagram page at Social Stories Podcast, send us a private message there or comment on any of our posts. And all you have to do is put SP for story prompt in front of it and then give us your prompt. We'll add it to our list and we'll take a look at it and see if it can become a short story on a future episode. Or you can do our texting service, which is at 770 322. 4867. That's seven seven zero three two two, four eight six seven. 4867 I felt like a radio host just then. That was, was kind of weird. This is a podcast. This is not radio. If you want to send in a prompt, do it. We'd love to have it. Well, next week we're coming back with a brand new story from a brand new prompt. This one comes from Lexi McKelvey and her prompt is this. It all started when that darn weasel got out of her cage. We're going to find out what happens next week on an episode called An Escaped Convict. Until we read again, my name is John Joyner. I'll see you next week.